I, I have a, a desire. It's, some, it's, it's something I don't like to share with a lot of people, but I'm going to go to HUD. I'm going to open up to y'all because uh, we're close. Um, I have a, a soft spot in my heart for um, romantic comedies. It's, uh, yeah, it's something that, yeah, and, and, I, and I, like, I like them because uh, I like to uh, think about how they work. Um, and it's, it's good, too, because Aaron likes romantic comedies, so it's something that we can do together, we can enjoy together. Um, my favorite, I think, of all time is, uh, is, is Notting Hill. Yeah. Have you seen this movie? Wow, it's great. Hugh Grant? Oh, man, I love that guy. And, and Julia, I mean, oh, so, so nice. Uh, the interesting thing about romantic comedies is you've got to think about how they do what they're doing, right? Like, how do they, how do they make it compelling, and um, so, so imagine, you know, you're watching Notting Hill, and if you haven't seen it, Hugh Grant is English, and, and Julia Roberts is an American movie star, and she meets him randomly at a bookstore that he owns uh, in England, in London, and they have this, this uh, thing. But, but what's interesting about it, what's really interesting about it is, is, is um, the way the characters work, right? So Hugh Grant, um, he, he's like, he's, he's sort of exotic, you know, he's kind of like, he's, he's out there, he's outre for, for Julia. She, he's not what she's used to. Um, and, and not only that, but he's also alluring in a weird way. And he has this kind of uh, moppish exterior. He's like bumbling. Kinda, but, but if you dig beneath that, and most people don't, but Julia does, if you dig beneath that, you find out he's actually compassionate, sensitive, caring. Um, he's really, really interested in, in everything that she has to say. And yet, at the same time, not only, he's not just, he's not just weak like that, he's also, when the time comes, he's daring, and he's, he's powerful, and he's, he's willing to go get her. And, and on, on top of all of that, all of that, every time she's in the room, he makes her feel like she's the only person there. I mean, I'm kind of falling in love with this guy right now. I mean, he's perfect. He's perfect, right? But then think about it. Think about the same movie from, from Hugh Grant's perspective, all right? <laughs> First off, a movie star walks into his bookstore, and she's gorgeous, right? She's beautiful, like absolute. I mean, just stunning physically, right? You know, and as guys, I mean, that's, that's something that happens, right? And yet at the same time, not only is she beautiful, she's also fascinating, and she's really interesting, and she has a really interesting perspective on things that he wants to just know more and more and more about. And yet, what he finds is that, is that, is that as interesting and fascinating as she is, what she really likes to do is adore him. You know, she's a movie, movie star, lives this fabulous lifestyle, but what she's really interested in is his life. I mean, fascinating, right? She, she has this, uh, this rock star boyfriend in, in America, and he's also an A-lister, and she's in the tabloids. But what she really is focused on all of the time is Hugh Grant's normal, bumbling life in, in a suburb of London. And that's what really excites her. And, and she adores the way that he's fearless and, and daring for her. And, and not only that, but she, she's the one that inspires that, right? She's the reason that he's willing to be daring and powerful. And as much as she likes to listen to him talk, she's much more interested in having sex with him. The perfect woman, right? I mean, right? Isn't th- I mean, isn't this... What, what is compelling about this? Because it is compelling. It's compelling because it's a fantasy, right? In the real world, relationships don't always work like this. Um... But what's interesting about it is it, is it taps into, it taps into, if we're honest, um, some of the things that, about our, our relationships that, that do work and that are wonderful. And then it just, it just makes them infinite. And it takes out all the problems. It takes out all of the, the challenges. Uh, it's funny. They, they have a big conflict, but it's really a misunderstanding. 
And once, once they learn to communicate, it's all perfect, you know? And if you think about it, Notting Hill and every romantic comedy is doing the same thing. It's promoting a message to you. And the underlying message, and this is the underlying message, I believe, of our culture, it's that there is better sex out there. And you aren't having it. And if you were, then you would be happy. Everything we see in mass media, in culture, is inculcating this message. It's pushing this message deeply. It's saying, the reason this is compelling, the reason this, this fantasy is so wonderful, well, it, it's really, it's out there. It's not a fantasy. You're just doing it wrong. That's why you love to see these things. That's why you're compelled by them, why you're attracted to them, why you desire them. But really, there's better sex out there. And you're missing out. And that's why you're unhappy. Are you sexually fulfilled? If you read Cosmo and and you take the quiz, you're going to find out that you're not. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, I, I did, you know, researching for the sermon. I, I took a few uh, online quizzes. I'm just like, man, I, I thought things were great, but now I realize there's all these problems. What, what's wrong with me? And it's not just me. You know, every single, right? Every person who's, who's single right now, what is the message constantly? Oh, you're missing out. Things could be better. You're all alone. And if you had this, you'd be great. Or if you've got, you know, you're, you're a couple, you're married, uh, but you don't have kids, right? Well, and yet you don't feel complete all the time? You're not perfect and, 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 and satisfied? Well, then there's something wrong with you, and you need to fix it. You need to spice things up, maybe? I don't know. For me, I, I have uh, young children, and, and um, I have what's called a dad bod. The dad body. It's, uh, I don't like to do this very often, but... Men, uh, I can do better, right? And let's be honest, Aaron can do better. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Um, you know, couples with, with older kids, you know, this, this thing where it's like, wow, we've been together for so long and, you know, the, the flame is, is, is lost and I need to trade in for a new model. You've heard this, right? Because I'm missing something. I need something more. If you're um, divorced or going through a divorce, you know, you're unlovable. You were doing it wrong. And she or he just proved it to you. Yeah, it was awful, but you know what? You're free now, but you're still alone. What about, you know, single parents? Well, maybe someday, maybe someday I'll be able to cash in and get in on the on the good stuff, the good part of life, but right now I, I just don't have that opportunity. Some here may have been uh, sexually abused in one way or another, um, either emotionally or spiritually or physically. Wow, there's no joy in sex for you, is there? It's been stolen. And everything you see in the world is telling you that you're empty because you're missing out, because you've been hurt or broken. And then there are those who feel neglected in their marriages or 
even outside of marriages. And they think, man, what is it that Hugh and Julia have that I don't? What is sex? In the Bible, um, it's fire. Um, look, look here uh, at, um, at Proverbs six twenty-seven to 29. Can a man take fire to his bosom, to his breast, and, and his clothes not be burned? Can you hold fire close to you? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes to his neighbor's wife. Sex is fire. It can burn you. Paul, um, outside of the text for today, but, but elsewhere in the New Testament, says it's better, than to, better to marry than to burn with passion. Sex is fire. It's incredibly powerful. We all know it intuitively. And it can be incredibly beautiful. But it can also be incredibly destructive. And so because it's so powerful, beautiful, and destructive, the Bible teaches us, or helps us look at sex by saying sex is fire. The question is not whether or not sex is fire. It is. The question is, what kind of fire should it be? This is our text today. Um, this is Ephesians 5, uh, just verses 3 and 4. And I've translated this um, in a really contemporary way. If you want to follow it in the New King James, in your pew Bibles right in front of you, on page 619, you can look at, at how, um, how the, the New King James translators did it. But I, I've kind of updated the language and tried to get at what it would have felt like to hear it um, in Ephesus in the first century using kind of some of our concepts, okay? And so Paul says, look, Extramarital sex and every sort of sexual exploration or sex addiction, none of it should even be mentioned among you. That's what's fitting for holy people. Shameful, silly, or coarse conversations are out of place. Instead, there should be gratitude. Now, if you look in your New King James, you're going to see things like uh, sexual immorality or, um, I think, impurity, uh, and, and then greed or covetousness um, are, are the ways that get translated extramarital sex and every sort of sexual exploration, sex addiction. Uh, sex addiction. So extramarital sex is, is called sexual immorality. Well, the reason I call it extramarital sex is because Paul just assumes, I mean, this is just his world, he's Jewish, and he just assumes that um, something like a, a, a heterosexual marriage is the norm for, um, for sexuality. Right? So that's just like what is expected. And remember, this is a culture where you marry very, very young. So people are usually in marriages even in their late teens, um, and, and certainly by their early 20s. And so, so it, it is, it is a, a natural and, and, and very, um, very common. It's totally what's normal. What's absolutely normal is, is two people, man and woman, married and having sex. All right? And so when immorality comes in, it's when something is outside of that. It's something beyond that. It's something, um, that, well, to, to put it in our terms, it's a little bit on the side, sort of. Uh, so in the ancient world, you know, you'd go to um, temples, and there would be um, prostitutes in the temples, and then prostitutes outside of the temples. Sex was actually a part of a lot of transcendent types of religious experiences. Uh, and, and so it was, it was normal, it was accepted for, uh, for a, a, a man or a woman to come in and, and in the course of worship, engage in sexual activities outside of their, their marital bond, right? And Paul's like, no, nah, that's not how we do it. That's not right. Um, also in, in the ancient world, some of these, uh, some of these um, 
worship services became, were, were turned into orgies. Uh, that was very common in, in, in the ancient world. Uh, if you've heard of Bacchanals or um, Dionysian uh, uh, worship, that was something where there were many um, partners. And so what Paul's doing is he's saying, he's saying anything that gets you away from your spouse, that's, that's, the, that's the first problem with, with sex that I see, is people get away from their, their spouse. And, and, and so they, they do it with prostitution, they, they do it with infidelity, um, that was very common in, in Rome, just as it is today. Um, they do it with a lot of different ways, right? But what ends up happening, what ends up happening is the fire that is sex starts to jump out a little bit. Starts to, so it's right here in front of us, and it starts to spread just a little bit. The next thing he says is every sort of sexual exploration. Um, this is uh, how it would have hurt, how it would have, what it would have sounded like to, to the people in Ephesus when he uses the word impurity. He's talking about, um, he's probably drawing on some of his Jewish background in the Old Testament law in different ways that people... Um, Engage in sex that's just, uh, it's just a little, little outre, a little more outside, uh, what, what constitutes normality, right? And so things like incest, things like, um, that are, are, you know, obviously, um, pedophilia, things like that, they, they become to be these, these farther and farther, right? So you, here's this normal thing and it just gets farther and farther and farther. And that's how Paul kind of conceives of what's happening. It's almost like um, the desire is starting to expand and get out of control, right? And if you think of that fire, it's like, it's like a fire that's, you know, you keep feeding it, right? And it's getting, it's getting bigger and bigger. And the way that Paul thinks and the way that the ancient people thought about sex and, and, and the way that desire is ordered is that it's something that if you, if you keep feeding it, it's going to get crazier and crazier and crazier until it's all-consuming, and this is the last thing here, sex addiction. It's literally just, in Greek, it's just the word for greed. Um, Paul's drawing on the Old Testament idea that you should not covet your neighbor's wife. Greed, you shouldn't have greed for your neighbor's wife. The idea is that it, it, it becomes this, this, this fixation. It's all you think about, and you obsess over it, and you've got to feed it more and more and more and more and more. In our terms, we call this sex addiction. It's, it can't be stopped. One of the things that's important to note here is that Paul is going out of his way not to name what, you know, the different types of acts that he's talking about. Because he doesn't care about the particular acts themselves. He's not trying to name them good or bad. What he's trying to do is explain how it is that people can start out here and descend into sexual chaos. How they can start out in this place of, of you know, control or whatever, and they can end up in a place that's absolutely consuming. Now, our culture, a post-Christian culture, and pagan cultures are both committed to this notion that sex isn't just fire. Sex should be an inferno a raging passion, a flame that consumes wherever it goes. Desire moves that way, desire moves this way, and then we go chase after it and we satisfy it, whatever the cost. Because that's, what it, that's who we are in our deepest place. That's what we should be going after. That's the better sex. That's what makes us complete and whole, is when we give ourselves to the flame and let it consume all that we are. Post-Christian and pagan cultures are committed our media is committed to the notion that sex should be an inferno. 
and you should get burned. And I want to stop for just a moment and just acknowledge the fact that um, traditionally, uh, especially in the last uh, 60 years or so, uh, Christian culture has really tried, has, has demonized sex in a lot of ways. And you can see it. I mean, if you just take that text and you just kind of read it, it sounds like, oh man, sex is terrible. It's no fun. Paul's taking all the joy out of it. What Paul's worried about is not taking the joy out of sex. What Paul's worried about is when sex consumes everything. Because we know what happens when it consumes everything. The question, though, how, how, do, how, does it, how does it get started, right? Well, this is the next thing that, that he, he brings up. The inferno gets started with fantasy, right? And, and we talked a little bit about that earlier. Notice he says, shameful, silly, or coarse conversations are out of place among you. This is how it gets going. Um, shameful talk uh, is obscenity. It's uh, talk that just names out things that should not be named in ways that they shouldn't be named, you know, locker talk. It's very much about describing or, um, you know, dis- objectifying, objectifying uh, the other uh, you know, your spouse, your partner, um, a, a woman or a man or whomever, it's about objectifying them and making them um, in, in your speech and the way that you think just an object of your gratification. There's also, it's not just that, there's also another kind of sex talk, is silly talk. It's like where we're just kind of like, oh man, wouldn't it be crazy if, you know? Which is fun, but it is a little bit disrespectful. More importantly, it makes light of things that are deeply personal and it makes it a little bit easier to start entertaining them in your mind and your thoughts. Because oh, it's just all in good fun. And this is sort of uh, connected to coarse conversation, coarse joking. Um, a lot of innuendo, double entendres, this is actually used uh, in the ancient world of people who are really fun at parties because they always have like a great thing to say that's really funny and totally gets you um, and it usually has something to do with sex. And those people are a lot of fun. Here's the thing, though. Um, If we're really honest, one of the things about the ancient world, they didn't have, you know, TV, books, music, internet pornography. Um, They didn't have any of that stuff. This right here, shameful talk, it's their version of mass media, okay? Because you didn't have a way to, to gratify your desires or get excited or whatever. So what you did is you talked with people. Conversation was an art in the ancient world, and it was something that people developed. It was something that you, you spent a lot of time thinking about, focusing on. And so it was the way it created your imagination for you so that you would go after certain things in, in very much the same way that now in our culture, things like the internet, movies, books, music, whatever, are the ways, those are the ways that we begin to create an atmosphere in which the fire can start to get big. We need to be honest about that. I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm no prude, uh, in, nor are most of the people in this church about, um, about media. But we do need to be honest about the, what it inspires in our minds. We need to think about what, what, what are, what, uh, is, is it pushing us in ways? Is it changing us? How do we guard that? When I was a kid, uh, I think I was like maybe six or seven, I was hanging out with my buddy Jeff. And Jeff and I were really into forts. 
We love forts. Uh, we started out with pillow forts, blanket forts. But we graduated at a certain point because um, Glenn, Jeff's father, uh, is an architect, and so he works with his hands and create things out of wood. And so um, at one point, uh, I think they, I, it's vague in my memory, but um, Jeff's family had like this awesome fort, wooden fort in their backyard, and it had like an underground component. Um, it, was, it was really the kind of place you would want to defend against whomever imaginary enemies were trying to assault you. And so I was a little bit jealous. I was like, I need to have a fort of my own. And plus, it's fun just to make them, right? And so for whatever reason, my mom, in her naivete, thought that that would be a good idea. And so she started to help me, and we built this awesome fort. It even had a drawbridge, as I recall, um, which didn't really work that well, but it was, it was, the idea was great. And, uh, and I remember... Um, so, you know, we were so stoked. We had this awesome, uh, awesome fort, and my mom went upstairs. Uh, she was happy for us. And we were sitting there, and we are like, okay, well, now what? Well, it's kind of dark in here. Yeah, it is a little bit dark. It would be nice if we could see a little bit better. I know. I, I know where the, my mom keeps the candles. Yeah, um, so I'll just, so I went in, and I, I went in real quiet, you know, and I just grabbed a candle, and we, we just put it right in the middle of our fort. It was so fun. We, you know, I got a match out, and I lit the candle, and we were looking at it, and we were like huddled around it. It was like, it's like, wow, this is great. A little small, though, isn't it? Right? Uh, boy. Oh, you know what's cool? In the backyard, we've got tons and tons of dry leaves um, and, and, and bark and stuff. Let's go, let's go put the drawbridge down, march out, you know, get a, a handful of leaves and bring it in. Put on top. Oh, this is sweet. I like this. Man, those those leaves burn really fast. Gosh, wouldn't it be cool if we got some of those those sticks and broken broken wood out there and put? Yeah, all right, cool. Let's do it. So, pretty soon, um, we're having a little trouble breathing. We're starting to cough, and uh, it's cool. Like the ceiling of the fort has turned black, and now and now it's actually starting to light on fire a little bit. Like, oh, at which point my mother kicks down the door. It's like, what are you doing? That, that's, that's the picture we took um, right, at, right as it was happening. No, I'm just... She, she stopped us. Isn't that true, though? Isn't that true what happens when you've got that little candle and you just want to keep feeding it? And pretty soon... It's out of control. That's an inferno. And when sex becomes an inferno, it wrecks lives. It wrecks people. I would bet that almost everybody here has in some way been hurt by the inferno. What kind of fire is sex supposed to be? Let's look at the text one more time. Look, extramarital sex, every sort of exploration, addiction, none of that should be mentioned among you. That's, not, that's what's fitting for holy people. Shameful, silly, coarse conversations out of place. Instead, there should be gratitude. What? Gratitude? <laughs> No, 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 Paul, let me fix that for you. Uh, instead, there should be self-control, right? That makes more sense. Instead, there should be edifying or building people up, right? That's popular in Ephesians. Let's just fix that, Paul. In fact, uh, in the ancient world, some of the first interpreters of church fathers, Origen, um, and some others, they, they changed this word because they're like, this makes no sense. Like, no, that's not, gratitude's not what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about something that has to do with sex. 
Uh, so I'm, this is uh, about 2003. I'm in Japan. It's the fall. It's probably October. And it's the first year I've been there. And the days are really short. So I'm starting to get that SAD, seasonal affective disorder. You have it. And uh, you're like, you're just depressed. Cause it, you know, and for me, I, I was really lonely too. It was starting to get cold. My house, the walls of my house were made of paper. So like, <laughs> there was no heat. Um, I was just, I literally was like bundle up. And fortunately for me, my, uh, my toilet seat was heated. So in the middle of the night, um, I would run out and like sit down like, yes. And then run back in. It was tough. It was a tough time for me. I remember... Um, one uh, Saturday, my buddy Ben, uh, from, he's from upstate New York, but he lived in a nearby uh, village, and so he came over to visit with me, and he was like, you know what this place needs? I had this awesome house, like a yard. You know, like, I was 22 years old. <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking giving that to me, but he's like, you know what this needs? It needs a fire pit. I was like, all right, that's, that's cool. Yeah, let's do that. So, so he, he, um, he takes me to Kain's home, the Home Depot of, of, of Japan, and we get some bricks and some cinder blocks, and uh, we get some gravel, and we go and we start digging up the lawn. And some of the Japanese people were watching, walking, walking by, like, what are they doing? Like, they don't do uh, fire pits there. They have different ways of, of heating that are a lot safer. Um, and so, actually, they, I found out later that they called uh, the fire police. Or the fire chief. Be like, I think the, I think the guy G interrupted something. Keep an eye on them. <laughs> so we, we, we dig this thing out and, um, and then we invite, uh, Jess, uh, Jess Rose. She was, she was an Australian. We invited, uh, the, the Groves from, uh, Minnesota. Um, Andy from, uh, Seattle. And, and, and that night, you know, I'm gonna talk, it's like 4.30 and it's, it's dark out. That night, we sit around, uh, the campfire. And, uh, what starts happening is, um, the different, people start telling stories, because we're all lonely, we're all homesick, and, and, and people start t- telling stories about home. We start to connect in a way that we probably hadn't connected before. And I remember um, sitting there thinking, God, thank you for this fire. Because in the midst of, you know, a cold, dark, empty, lonely world, we had something warm, something bright, and it, it nourished us. It brought us together. You know, the inferno, it consumes and consumes and consumes. The campfire provides and provides and provides. And so what kind of fire is sex? Sex is a warm, bright fire on a dark, cold night. Because a warm, bright fire and sex can and should nourish and draw us together. And when we have it, what we should be feeling is gratitude. Not, I need more and more and more and this and this and this. Instead, this is good. This is right. This is whole. Can I imagine a better sex? Probably. But this campfire is good. And it's keeping me warm. What Paul's calling the Ephesians city, he's not, he's not out there trying to come up with like all these things like this is nasty and that's terrible and blah, blah, blah. I mean, he does that in some sense. But what he's really trying to do is inspire them to remember what sex is actually about. 
and to recognize that if you stay away from the inferno, then you can develop and you can enjoy and you can be a part of the warm, bright fire. Instead of getting burned and destroying everything around you, the power of sex can be harnessed to do what it's best at, bringing people close, protecting them, giving them joy with each other before God so that, so that, they're filled with a sense of gratitude and not a sense of insatiable desire. Make a warm, bright fire. Now, you know, this is challenging. It's, it's, it's hard. Uh, what does that look like? You know, there's some people here uh, who are, are single for one reason or another. Um, you know, divorced, widowed, um, just unmarried. Um, there are some, there are an increasing group of Christians uh, who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, and, and they believe, they, they feel compelled um, because of their, their reading of the Bible that they, that they need to be celibate. What does it look like for people like this to make a warm, bright fire? Church, here's what I'm telling you. It is up to us to be the warm, bright fire for those people. We need to be a place that invites and is hospitable and generous and close and warm with those for whom sex isn't an option right now. It is a tremendous calling and requires a deep sense of gratitude in us that we might create gratitude in them. What does it look like for you, wherever you're at, to come to sex now in a new way as, as something that inspires gratitude? I, I suggest probably for most of us, for most of us, it's, it's giving up looking, maybe not giving up, but taking a step back from looking for the hottest, amaz- most amazing sex. And it, it instead, thinking about what you can do to make sex inspire gratitude in the one you're with. What does it look like to make sex and your sexual intimacy, your union, your relationship, something that inspires gratitude with the person you're with? Something where they're like, I'm so glad for this bright, warm fire. And there's so many, I mean, obviously, this is so complicated. I mean, you, we've got people here with, with young children, right? Oh, what do you do? I, we, we're lucky if we can, you know, I get it. I do. Uh, we got people who are just, let's see, at the end of the week, I'm pretty tired, honestly. And I just don't know uh, how much, you know, fuel is left in the tank here. Uh, we got folks who, let's be honest, there's probably people here... Um, you know, just due to experiences in the past, you feel like sex is something you'll never be grateful for. You'll never... Um, I, I, it's hard to imagine uh, what it must be like for people who have been either abused or neglected um, in, in ways that, uh, that damage uh, sexuality deeply. Church, we surround these people. We embrace these people. We give them hope that there's something for them. If, uh, if, if, if sex is, uh, is not a warm, bright fire in your home, it's worth thinking about what to do to make it that way.
last thing is, imagine what it would be like if that's how we treated sex. Instead of, instead of being you know, drawn off by the fantasies that the culture provides for us, um, and, and there are so many, I mean, you know, everything from internet pornography to rom-coms and Vogue magazine, whatever it is, there are so many different ways that the culture is trying to tell us that sex is an inferno and we need to go get, get after it and da-da-da. Instead, we rejected that categorically and we said, instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make my sexual intimacy something that is joy and gratitude for my partner. If we live like this, this is what's crazy. If we live this way, uh, later in Ephesians, uh, Paul, Paul says, um, everything that is revealed by the light is light. Okay, we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. Everything that is revealed by light is light. The idea is, if you have the right kind, and I think Paul's in the back of his mind thinking about sexuality, if you have the right kind of you know, warm, bright fire going, then what's going to happen is that all the, the, the infernos and the craziness of the culture, it's going to be exposed for what it is, and then it's going to become the light that you live, that you have. So that by living this way, we can actually alter and change the minds of people when they see what it looks like to have a community of people who are committed to sexual gratitude. The world will change if we do this. And if we don't, if we get caught up in the inferno, We'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, the gift of sex that you give to us. Thank you for um, calling us to the warm, bright fire. God, I pray for everyone um, here who has been damaged or hurt in some way by you know, the church's proclamation about you know, demonizing sex or, or people in their lives who have hurt them with uh, sex, sex that's been weaponized, sex that's, um, that's just not nourishing, sex that's insatiable and consuming. God, anyone here who's been burned, please let them feel and know your grace and your forgiveness and your love. God, please inspire us to light warm, bright fires. Give us the heart of gratitude that can enjoy them. In all things, God, including our sexuality, we are yours first, and we commit to you. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen.